0: Hey, everybody. Welcome into the back room. I'm Andy Ostroy.
1: And you will hear that Donald Trump never picked up the phone that day to order his administration to help. This is not ambiguous. He did not call the military. His secretary of defense received no order. He did not call his attorney general. He did not talk to the Department of Homeland Security.
0: That's Liz Cheney talking about tonight's primetime hearing. It's going to be the eighth hearing so far. Uh, Chairman Benny Thompson, who has COVID, will be, uh, I guess, zooming in. Um, And it's going to focus on Trump's dereliction of duty, his failure to act, his failure to lead, his violation of his oath of office, which let me remind everybody what that is. Quote, I do solemnly swear that I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States and will, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. But what did Trump do? None of that. He sat in the White House, or stood in the White House, watching it all unravel on TV, watching people storm into the Capitol, watching rioters Beat the shit out of cops, watching people get shot and killed. He sat and watched it on TV and did nothing. So, this hearing is going to be a minute by minute, play by play accounting of the now infamous 187 minutes between the start of the violence and when Trump issued this video tweet, video message.
2: I know you pain, I know you're hurt. from me, from you, from our country. This was a fraudulent election. But we can't play into the hands of these people. We have to have peace. So go home. We love you. You're very special. You've seen what happens. You see the way others are treated that are so bad and so evil. I know how you feel. But go home and go home in peace.
0: Now, mind you, I, I think that was like take 47 of that message, because the first 46 takes were something like, I don't want to, I didn't fucking, you, fuck you guys, you were right, you could storm the Capitol, we were, I mean, the, to get to this point where in between all his self-serving victim bullshit, he says, go home, like, to get to that point, literally, I think, took about an hour of, of coaxing him into that, and... You have to remember that when he put that message out, saying, we want peace, we don't want violence, we want this, we want that, that was after he sat and watched all of those things happen. So this, this message was completely uh, meaningless when it came out. And um, so tonight we're going to hear from two witnesses, Matthew Pottinger, who was a member of Trump's National Security Council, and Sarah Matthews, who was Trump's uh, deputy press secretary. Both of these people resigned, uh, I think, the day of J6. And it's important to note that these are not like deep state Democrats. These were Trumpers. These were loyal Trumpers who finally drew a line in the sand and said, what happened today was insane. And they walked. So we're going to hear from them uh, tonight. We're also going to hear things probably about how, you know, uh, Puttinger and Pat Cipollone, Trump's former White House counsel, and apparently like 3 p.m. stormed into Mark Meadows' office and was like, you, you, we, we haven't called the National Guard yet? Trump's inaction in those three hours. I mean, people are now talking about like manslaughter charges because he literally watched, he not only incited this, this insurrection, he called for more violence wanted his vice president hung he was agreeing with everything these people were doing that day and i mean i'm not i'm not a lawyer i'm not a criminal defense lawyer or a prosecutor but you know if, if people die in something like that well you know maybe there is a manslaughter charge that's headed his way i would just like to see his ass thrown in prison for for the obvious stuff uh, because that i think that's a hundred times more than enough um Another thing that happened this week, which, which I loved, was a statement that was given by Attorney General Merrick Garland.
1: No person is above the law in this country. I can't say any more clearly than that. There is nothing in the principles of prosecution, in any other factors which prevent us from investigating anyone, anyone
2: who's criminally responsible uh, for, for uh, uh, an attempt to undo a democratic election nothing stops Either us no per, i don't know how to maybe I'll say that again no person is
1: above the law in this country i can't say it any more clearly than that
0: now it's important to point out that that the reporter that you heard he he screamed out even a former president now merrick garland is garland is on the hot seat and he has been and there's a lot of you know nattering nabobs of negativity who do nothing but complain about merrick garland the justice department the j6 committee These are people who just get up on their soapboxes every day, crying about how nothing's being done. Everybody's ineffective, uh, incompetent, that Trump's not going to be indicted. He's never going to serve a day in jail. And in this clip, it's almost like you can feel sorry for Merrick Garland because you hear in his voice saying, you know, just how many fucking times do I have to say the same thing? Because yesterday's statement was not the first time he said this. I think it's about the third how many times do I have to say anyone, anyone who was involved will be prosecuted? And I'd like to say to my fellow Democrats who are impatient and I understand the impatience, I understand the frustration. But we're not talking about some dude who walked in and held up a liquor store. okay? We're talking about one of, you know, 46 people who have served as President of the United States, potentially, being indicted, convicted, and imprisoned. This doesn't happen overnight. This is not some Banana Republic investigation where we're going to just have a, a, a two days of a trial and then, and then hang somebody. This has to be done methodically. It has to be done with great competence so that when a case is brought, an indictment is handed down, the charges can stick, and there's a prosecution that's going to be successful, that Trump will go to jail. So I just think people need to chillax and just say, okay, let this man do his job. You know, he's not a grandstander. But the, the, the thing that I keep coming back to is why on earth would Garland make several public statements, absolute public statements, the way he has been, if in his mind he's like, yeah, but I'm really not going to prosecute Trump. So I think people just need to relax, calm down, let the Justice Department do its job, recognize the complexity of this case, the unprecedented nature of it, and just assume that justice will get done. Listen to the man's words. No one is above the law, and everyone who is involved will face justice. Another thing that happened this week, which was interesting, in the Maryland governor's race, Dan Cox, who is a, a Trump flunky, went up against Larry Hogan, the, the current governor, Larry Hogan, who serves two terms, and he's term limited out, so he can't run again. His former Commerce Secretary, Kelly Schultz, who he endorsed. On the Democratic side, it's either author Wes Moore or former DNC chair Tom Perez, uh, who will face Cox. But the interesting thing here is that Cox is an election denier. He said Trump should seize voting machines. He charted three buses to take people to J6 uh, rally, insurrection. And he said, "Pence is a traitor." This is who won the Republican nomination. What's critical to note here is that the Democratic Governors Association spent one point one six million dollars in TV advertising uh, to help Cox win. And so it's a little bit of a controversial strategy that the Democrats have, have embarked on. You know, they did it with uh, Doug Mastriano, uh, who's going to be facing off against John Peterman. Uh, John Peterman. John Fetterman. I feel like I'm back on Seinfeld. <laughs> Uh, John Fetterman, who's running against uh, Mestriano in Pennsylvania for the Senate seat. And also uh, Claire McCaskill, who is a senator from Missouri. She did the same thing back in the day against Todd Legitimate Rape Aiken. Now, this strategy is great when it works, but it could be disastrous if it doesn't. But my theory is you're going to run against somebody. Why don't you run against the person you think you have the greatest chance of defeating. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Interestingly, Democrats in Maryland outnumber Republicans two to one, and the state hasn't backed a Republican presidential candidate since 1988. So maybe this is going to work like a charm. The last thing uh, I want to bring up before we get to our guest today, which I'm very excited about. Uh, Our guest today is Paul Begala. I mean, he is my political hero, and I can't wait to talk with him. Yesterday, a bipartisan Senate committee agreed on two critical election bills that should prevent another January 6th type of insurrection and coup attempt. One is the Electoral Count Reform and Presidential Transition Improvement Act. The other is the Enhanced Election Security and Protection Act. Uh, the committee was led by—I'm uh, the. Um, I'm sorry, the bipartisan group was led by Susan Collins— from Maine, and Joe Manchin, Democrat from West Virginia. And uh, we have Republicans like uh, Rob Portman, Mitt Romney, Lisa Murkowski, Shelley Moore Capito, Todd Young, Ben Sass and Lindsey Graham, who are also on board with it, and a few Democrats as well. The first bill would clarify the vice president's role, which it stated was solely ministerial. In counting electoral college votes, okay, it was also raised a bar for members of Congress to object, And it would also try to prevent fake slates of electors from interfering in the process. The second bill is aimed at protecting election workers. But that first bill is really important because it would stop another Trump from saying, you know, if Pence does the right thing. No, Pence doesn't have, it's ceremonial. The vice president doesn't do shit that day. Okay, he opens an envelope, okay, like the great Karnak on the Carson show. Do we need to really codify this? Apparently we do. And so that's huge. And instead of one Republican or one House and Senate member from each party being uh, able to object, it's now going to be like one fifth of uh, each chamber. So that drastically increases the number of, of people that need to sort of stop this process. This is important stuff because what's happened in the last couple of years is that Trump and the Republicans have sort of bottomed up their strategy on the state level with, you know, electors. And, you know, that was another thing, too, that this is going to protect against fake electors uh, being put forth. You know, they, they're trying to work within the system on the state and local level and the elector level to uh, counter what they faced in, in 2020, which is why he wasn't able to steal the election. So this, this is important stuff. And it's another feather in, in Biden's cap uh, in terms of bipartisan legislation. So at this point, I want to bring on Paul Bagala. I'm really excited uh, to talk with Paul. Paul is a CNN political commentator and New York Times bestselling author. His most recent book was the election year hit, You're Fired, The Perfect Guide to Beating Donald Trump. He's also been a columnist for the Newsweek and the Daily Beast and was one of the founding contributing editors of his late friend JFK Jr.'s magazine, George. But perhaps most notably... Paul helped engineer Bill Clinton's winning presidential campaign in 1992 with his partner, James Carville. He later served as counselor to the president, serving as one of President Clinton's closest aides in coordinating policy, politics, and communications. In the 2012 campaign, Paul was a senior advisor for the pro-Obama Super PAC, making him one of the few people to play a critical role in electing two different presidents. Paul remains a top political consultant for, for campaigns across the country and around the world. He's taught at the McCourt School of Public Policy at Georgetown University, the University of Texas School of Journalism, and the University of Georgia School of Law. Welcome into the back room, Paul.
1: Andy, thank you, man. It's great to be here. It's a, it's a lovely and well-appointed back room.
0: <laughs> yes, it, it literally is a back room uh, of, of, a, of a store in the Hudson Valley. It's this great little studio oh, yeah. setup, and so I'm literally in the back room.
3: Okay, so, uh,
1: uh, Can I ask you, yeah. why are we not in the back room of the candy store? That's where I want to be.
0: That's Well, that's a good question. Uh,
1: See, I'm a loyal I don't know. I'm
0: a, I, don't know. I mean, that's, that, I'm going to work on that. I'm going to work get, on that.
1: Get a guy like me, jack him up on on uh, M&M's.
0: Well, you send me your address, I'm going to send you some candy. So. Um, <laughs> Thanks. So, before we actually. This is great.
1: I'm glad you've launched this thing. I think it's going to be a lot of fun.
0: Oh, it's so much fun. It's like either that or put my fist through a glass window.
1: So I get to vent,
0: you know? Venting is very important. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, you know, everyone needs a podcast today, right? Because we don't have enough podcasts.
1: Well, it's the new. uh, There's the 28th Amendment, the Constitution requires every American to have a podcast. So I'm happy to help you with yours. Great.
0: Thank you. So, you carville stephanopoulos Canther, Lindsay, rom all the guys. to me yeah. you guys are like the beatles of politics okay <laughs>
1: because to who's, me who's yoko <laughs> <laughs> ken star i guess or something i
0: don't know that's a, yoko did not break up the beatles okay um, I got, I got i'm gonna right. go on record with that okay um the, the the No, it the, had
1: to be centripetal <laughs> forces that just... Right? Yes, or the Beatles it, themselves. And by the way, honestly, I still talk to James every single day That's for 39 awesome. years. I still talk to Ron every single day. Now wow. he's in Japan. He's our ambassador. I, so it's, it, it has been every single day until he left for Tokyo. And okay. I have to say, I'm in like withdrawal. Are you guys... We talk um, about once or twice a week.
0: Are you guys planning a coup? <laughs> no, <we're laughs> we just, can use that kind know, of coup. Because I was going to say change, that when you, when you help... Uh, bubba become president that you know it, it, me, i love music so musically that to me was like like Sarge, sergeant pepper hitting like that just transformed political campaigns and politics people still talk about it they still quote you guys um and uh, we, you know we're sorely missing that today so i just want to say that you know uh I'm, I'm a huge fan you're a political hero of mine Um, So you you all got to work for a president uh, who was brilliant, Mm -hmm. passionate, inspiring, uh, dripping in charisma uh, and likability, right? So then you look at like Trump, right? And people who went to work for like, can you, do you ever think about like, what, what did those, what was the, what were those guys thinking? Like, what, what was it like to work for that kind of president?
1: You know, I, I have been in this business. All my adult life so i have friends who went to work for trump and you know they sort of went in three different ways some became terribly disillusioned turns out who'd have guessed it turns out he's not always honest uh and and et cetera so and then, so they left some were true believers and they really believe in that stuff hmm. and then the third group which is the largest are people um you know it's like that glenn campbell song there's a load of compromising on my road to my horizons <laughs> the rhinestone cowboy, they're the rhinestone cowboys. And, um, you know, you have to be aware of that, those incremental compromises. And you wake up one day and he's sending an armed mob to murder the vice president. And, and and I, I try not to judge. I really do. I really do try not to judge. But how could you not? The people who know better, the people who know better. Uh, and and th- that's the majority of them. It really is. It, it, not that many people who wake up in the morning and think, gee, let's ban every Muslim from the country. Uh, gee, let's shake down the Ukrainians and mm-hmm. keep them from getting life-saving aid as Putin is invading so that we can dig up dirt on my opponent. I mean, very few people, seriously, including Republicans, but they 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 make these daily compromises and then they wake up one day and they're gone.
0: So what do you think, I mean, you and I are probably somewhere around the same age, you know, we're men of, you know, young forties, right?
1: Hell, Yeah, exactly.
0: And so my whole life, all I hear about is like power corrupts, right? So Mm -hmm. do you think that's what it like, was that what it is? Like you just somehow get close to that Oval Office and somehow every norm and boundary and principle you have gets compromised?
1: Yes. Yes, it, it is it's why we It's why the founders were geniuses you have to have these checks and balances you have to have these guardrails because ambition is such a powerful drug and it's such an addictive drug the more you're in it and especially people like me come out of campaigns campaigns are very clear they're a clarifying event there's team r and team d and you want to beat their ass and anything you can do within ethics and the law you're going to do and and that, I'm telling you, that I still feel it. I haven't been in a campaign in a number of years, but it still motivates you that way. Um, uh, Carvel just interviewed Tim Miller, uh, a Republican strategist, who he says, I haven't read his new book yet, but I'm sure it's quite good. And he says, it's that, the smell of cordite, you know. Then, though, so then y- you happen to win, and you wind up in the Oval Office, and that is such power, mm. it is such a drug as well. So you begin by saying, well, I hate the other side. I, I don't really like Trump, but, or, gee, I hate the Democrats. And then they they, then they wind up in there, and it is the Oval Office. And I, I think the guy disgraced it, and I, I think he was a, a, a threat. He mm-hmm. wasn't just an embarrassment. still is. He wasn't still is, right, and he still is. Uh, but that's, that's I think, what happens. It begins yeah. with um, negative identification. Okay, so you mentioned my Texas Longhorn hat. I have four boys. They're all in their 20s. Only one went to the University of Texas, where my wife and I went. But all four of them, Andy, I swear to God, if you call any of my sons right now and say, Johnny, what time is it? He will say, it's 1237 and OU sucks. <laughs> yeah. Because Oklahoma sucks. Right. It's science. Right. You know, it, it, the only reason Texas doesn't fall in the Gulf of Mexico is because Oklahoma sucks. <laughs> well, that's negative identification. That's an easy right. way to build a tribe. Right. And, and it, it's much easier than saying, I love Texas. Right? Because I, I do love Texas, but it has massive faults right now, politically, governmentally. So you hang in there by saying, oh, you sucks.
0: Right, right. And, so when you, I when think you, that's what a lot
1: of the, when Trump you talk about that doing.
0: kind of, that kind of thinking and then flip it around, as I was saying before, and like the opposite occurs. Like you are addicted mm-hmm. to the, 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 the promise, the hope, the America's yeah. progress, the future, you know, like when you think back on your, what, on your time in the political Beatles, like, what do you, what do you, what's one of the first things that comes to your mind when you reflect back on that period?
1: Well, there were big things like beating the NRA coming out of Texas, being a part of gun culture. I, 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 I'm a hunter. I own 20, 25 guns, none of them pistols, none of them ARs because I'm a hunter, not a killer. And I respect guns and gun ownership, but they are fearsome devices and they have to be well regulated and Clinton coming out of the South. He came from a state where more than fifty percent of the people in that state had a hunting or a fishing license or both. And he took on the NRA, beat their ass. With Joe Biden writing the bill, by the way. Uh, right. the Brady bill, with Man. He got Ronald Reagan on board. He got Gerald Ford on board. Um that's a big thing. And I guess I think about it a lot now. I I I I heard Fred Guttenberg on your podcast and he's just such a hero. Hmm. And the, fact that he, like you, has channeled his pain into purpose is really admirable. Um, so things like that, AmeriCorps. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I think if anything's going to save us, it's going to be service. We serve with people who are not like us, and we bond. Um, it, the things like that. I, I, you know, I played a tiny role in a very big uh, historical sweep, but I, I was proud to do it. And then there's the personal things. You know, the guy was so good to me personally. Mm. It's so good. He he and Hillary. Treated my family like we were their family. Um, just, you couldn't imagine someone being more kind. A lot of presidents are very aloof. Clinton is very familial.
0: Yeah, I uh, met him once at a, at a fundraiser, yeah. and, and I started talking to him, and I swear to God, like, I I understood what everyone had said up until that point. Like, he locks, like, he, I literally felt like I was the only person in the room yeah. and uh, he charmed the pants off of me and it was just like five minutes and so that's a that's a real gift and believe it or not i just recently started watching the west wing and like oh wow as i'm watching it, i'm thinking like this is Clinton and all these guys are like Bagala and Stephanopoulos and all these young whippersnappers. And they're all like loving government and loving serving and all that. And the president's a genius and they're staying up late and they're talking and this and that. And then you stop and you'd be like, God, what was, what was the Trump White House like? And it's like, you, you can't even fathom it. It's just nuts. I,
1: I asked one of his very most senior aides that question. And uh, the Clinton, the first term, the Clinton uh, White House was more like a graduate school seminar. We were bumping into each other and talking too much, to tell the truth. But over time, we learned what we were doing. And by the second term, with John Podesta at the helm, we were the most, I'm serious, we were. We knew what the hell we were doing. And I think did a lot of good there too, but less drama. So I asked this exceedingly high-ranking uh, Trump official uh, what it was like. This is the first year of his term. And he said, you wouldn't last a day. And I said, why? And he said, because you're used to like People stand when the president walks in the room. You you don't go into the Oval Office unless you're summoned and requested. He's like, this is utter chaos. It's total chaos. And um, he, he said, it's, I said, why? And I swear to God, this is what the guy said. Because he's a madman. <laughs> and I was like, what are you doing? Why you want a madman with 6,000 nuclear weapons and 1.3 million troops and trillions of dollars of spending and 11 aircraft carriers? I don't think so. Hmm. but he was serving the mad mom.
0: I I always say he's a sociopath. We actually had a sociopath Mm -hmm. as a a president. Um, Before we get to the hearings, I want to ask you one other thing. Uh, Since I am such a fan, I sat for a few times in the audience of Crossfire back in the day (laughs) (laughs) and and loved that show. Whenever I would travel for business to D.C., it was always like, book those tickets in advance. And uh, I got to say, I I mean, I I didn't agree with him, but I kind of liked Tucker Carlson, right? Like a lot of people did, like, What the hell happened to this guy? Is it what we were saying before about power corrupting and all that? Is that that all it is? Because he went so far to the right.
1: Yeah. I don't know is the honest answer. He and I were terribly close. And I have not criticized him in public because we were very, very close friends. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not in close touch now for obvious reasons because Mm -hmm. I can't stand what he's saying on TV. Right. Now, I'm a very faithful Catholic and they teach us. Nancy Pelosi says this all the time. Love the sinner, hate the sin. Right. And that's a real central tenet of Catholicism. So I can tell you, I love Tucker. Can't stand what he is saying and doing in his TV show. Um, so yeah, you know, it's interesting just you say
0: that. that. Yeah. What, my, my late wife once, ooh, not once, many times said to me, you know, when you look at people in this world who anger you and do do bad things to you, rather than get angry back, try to think about like why they do what they do. It wow. can help you, you know, she wasn't a terribly religious person or spiritual, but I thought it was a good life lesson to kind of say, okay, this person's acting like a jerk, but like, is it just because they're a jerk or because there's something that happened 40 years? Like, and it, it does change your perspective in yeah. that moment. And it allows you to maybe deal with people, difficult people in different
1: ways sometimes. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And to take it out of the religious realm, look at George Lucas, <laughs> right? If you give in to the dark side, you become the dark right. side. <laughs> Uh, or, or Dr. King, right? The right? You, you only answer for hate yeah. so no. is that. I, I strongly disagree with every word the guy says. I've broken more TV sets throwing shoes at him. Uh, I, I turn up the brightness button, but he doesn't get any smarter. <laughs> uh, but, but I, I, I really, I, seriously, I hope your listeners too. you can't give in to hate. Yeah. You can't, because it, this is heavy shit. Yeah, these it's days true. it's
0: not easy to, to to subscribe to that, Paul, but I do you think know, people are trying. But it's, you know it's who, not know um,
1: who said to me the ultimate thing on this? He can say it to me, President Clinton became very close friends with Nelson Mandela. They were both presidents. Mandela came to the White House had the honor of meeting him. And you know, particularly like going through that impeachment, the affair, the scandal, Clinton had a lot of bitterness. He did in the moment. And his friend, he's called Mandiba. His friend Mandela calls him up and says, Bill. You have to let go, and you have to forgive. This is a man of supreme moral authority, and he said, "When you hate someone else, it's like drinking poison and thinking it's going to hurt them." Right. And um, you know, thank God, I've never been through anything like Clinton or anything God knows like you. And so it's easy for me. I've never had a bad day in my life. Uh, but <laughs> but, I, Clinton's lesson from Mandela is, I think, an important one for all of us. Yeah.
0: So let's let's talk about the hearings a little bit. Uh, we got a big one coming up tonight, the eighth eighth hearing. How do you think they're going so far in terms of impact, effectiveness, and needle moving?
1: Perfect. I mean, I used to work on the Hill, uh, and then I worked in the White House. I've been around scores of congressional hearings, investigations. This is the most effective. I was a kid during Watergate. I think this is even more effective than Watergate. And it's because, Andy, they brought in somebody like you. They brought in a storyteller, a producer. And it's so hilarious that the Democrats have discovered after 75 years, this new technology called the TV. (laughs) (laughs) So they brought in a TV producer. And and it shows. You know, Mm -hmm. for years, they would bring in writers. they bring in technical experts. they bring in lawyers. Finally, they brought in a storyteller. And you know this because you produce films. Every hearing. uh, Well, first, most importantly, it's limited to two and a half hours. Chairman Thompson, I know this from sources on the committee, the chairman has said, Nothing goes beyond two and a half hours. And someone on the committee asked him, and he said, go back to ancient Greece. Aeschylus never wrote a play that made you sit in a a seat for two and a half hours. There's no, you know, except the worst operas, nothing lasts more than two and a half hours. And and he had one of the hearings was scheduled for four or four and a half. And Chairman Thompson made that member cut it with a machete. Mm -hmm. So that's the most important thing, right? He can hold the audience. But then structurally, I mean, you know more about this than I do, but a, a great TV series, The first 10 minutes is a car chase, and the last 10 minutes is a cliffhanger. And in between is substance and plot and character development. But every one of their hearings starts with a car chase and ends Mm, with a cliffhanger. That's interesting. uh, I think it's great.
0: Yeah, no, it seems like it it does seem different than what Democrats typically do, because being a Democrat, I'm, I'm often most critical of my own party, because... They can't seem to master the messaging the way the Republicans have, the way the way you guys did. You know, but then again, you were the Beatles, so you know, there's only one Beatles. But um But they're yeah, doing I, it. I just now. want to
1: be Ringo. That's all. I just want to be Ringo. Just hang out with these geniuses. Ringo like was the old. I say this as a yeah,
0: drummer. Ringo was the heart and soul of that band. All the only ah, other guys get the go. credit, but without Ringo, <laughs> you, you don't have anything. Um, exactly. that's why they fired poor Pete Best. Poor Pete Best. Can you imagine being in in whenever you have like a low day Always think about, like, it could have been worse. You could have been Pete Best. Right? My God, what that guy must have gone through. Oh, my God. Anyway, so... Yeah, I, I agree. But, you know, there's also this chorus of criticism about, you know, are they doing enough? And like, what would the Republicans do? Would the, you know, should the Democrats be doing this like every other night you know, for five hours, which you've already addressed? Uh, Michael Steele thinks it should go into January. You know, like, is there something you think is missing that you'd want to see differently?
1: No, I, I want to see the report mm-hmm. um, because that's going to be definitive. And I hope and expect that they're writing that for history, not for the election cycle. That this is going to matter. I, I can tell you, I I defended President Clinton in his impeachment. I was part of the impeachment team. One of the first things I did, I went back to the Federalist Papers. What did Hamilton say about impeachment? I went back to the Watergate hearings. I watched Barbara Jordan, who was my wife's professor and mentor. Hmm. I didn't really know. I met her through my wife, but but my wife was close to Barbara. I, so I watched her. She's long dead, and she still spoke to me. I sat there in the West Wing playing tape of Barbara Jordan speaking about the Constitution. It inspired me. So the record that they're building, this is going to last for centuries. Mm-hmm. And I hope that and I, know, I believe they will write the report that way. Um, it, the, the fact that they have produced such great storytelling really, really matters. It does. But then now I, I, at the end, I want the volume for history. I want the complete uh, 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 history because every time I'm learning something, I thought I knew. Right. Well, that's and been the interesting part. Hearing, it is, It think... is.
0: they are creating history every time they have a hearing. I want to play a, a clip from Jamie Raskin.
1: And our hearing, next week will be a profound moment of reckoning for America. Is,
0: he's referring to tonight. Is that kind of hyperbolic? Or do you think tonight is really going to be like, you know, the
1: finale of secession? <laughs> yeah, I, I think it will be. I think... You know, again, I had the honor of working in the White House. The president of the United States is the most powerful person in the world. And so far, it's only been, guys, his most solemn duty is to protect the country, protect the American people, protect the Constitution. He swears an oath to the Constitution. And I believe Mr. Trump violated that oath. Mm -hmm. And that should require a profound reckoning. When literally lives were on the line, when the Constitution was on the line, he was derelict in his duty or worse, um... And and for me, the worst moment, the most jaw-dropping, and again, I'm not a Trump fan. I wrote a whole book about how to beat Trump the last election cycle, and and I never did support him, right? But still, it was hard for me to swallow a firsthand, first-person account from Cassidy Hutchison who said she heard Donald Trump say, I don't care if they're armed, take the mags down, the, the metal detectors, take the mags down because they're not there to hurt me. Right. Well, yeah, but they were there to hurt somebody, sir, right. your fellow Americans. And in fact, the vice president and the speaker and lot of the members of Congress. And by the way, they were there to hurt the Capitol Police officers, mm-hmm. over 100 injured. Um, so it, it is it is actually mind-blowing. I think you're right that he must be a sociopath. I never took freshman psychology. So well, if you I don't go, know.
0: I once went online and I, and I looked up, you know, characteristics of a sociopath he's literally 10 out of 10. <laughs> like you can't get more sociopathic than Donald Trump. And the, yeah, the that, thing you just mentioned, it's like yeah, dead David. they're not there to hurt me. Like he's okay with people getting killed.
1: I, I, I mean, I think so, that's this a is sociopath. like my hobby horse about uh, nomenclature though. Uh, you know, I've been exposed to my family uh, uh, mental illness and I know and love people with some very profound mental illness. And people interchange sick and evil in a way that I don't like, right? My, my people I love who are mentally ill, they're not evil. They don't hurt people. They're just sick, and they need help, and they need medicine, and they need therapy. So I don't think of Trump as sick. I think he's oh, rotten. I, I hate to say evil, but I, I don't know that it's a pathology. It may just be conscious choices.
0: Well, he's a pathological a liar. That's, there's one yeah. pathology there. But I, I do think he's, he's both sick and evil and that's why we've seen what we've
1: seen i mean i just know. can't imagine i can't this that 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 statement from uh, Miss hutchinson knowing that armed men they were almost all men coming after his fellow americans and his constitution that ranks up there with telling general kelly in arlington cemetery where my father-in-law a war hero lies in honor right looking at those graves and calling those soldiers who gave their lives so you and I could be free, he called them suckers and losers. Like, that's that's the worst thing a president can do. The, the humility you gain, any president, except for Mr. Trump, by realizing that the finest people in your country are ready to lay down their lives on your order. It, it is profoundly humbling. And for that jerk to call those heroes mm-hmm. Losers. I mean, those two things. There's a thousand things I could tell you, but those two things are, are, are really awful. What
0: do you think of um, What do you think of what Garland said yesterday? Uh, which, to me, was him literally saying, "Like, how many freaking times do I have to say the same thing? No one is above the law. Everyone will be prosecuted." Are you in the camp of eh, Trump's not going to get indicted, or? Uh, If you watch the last few weeks of these hearings and you see the momentum shift, it it does to me seem like he it it is way more likely at this point that he would be indicted. And maybe in particular in Georgia, do you think he's got maybe in
1: Georgia, because Merrick Garland is not running the prosecution in Georgia. It's a state offense being investigated. And he does have the presumption of innocence. Sorry, I am a lawyer. Uh, Mr. Trump has the presumption of innocence. We have to presume that he's innocent. Got to make that prosecutor prove up. Any charges Mm -hmm. before she brings them right and i I, honestly i mean that the federal stuff i I have to say uh, robert muller tied up 11 indictments for obstruction of justice with a bow Mm -hmm. requiring no more investigation he he had the most thorough investigation declined to indict because the office of legal counsel of justice said you can't i respect that Mm -hmm. i don't fully agree but i respect it he feels bound by this 30 or 40-year-old uh, uh, opinion memo, really, just from the justice. Okay, but that's ready to go, Andy. That was ready to go. As soon as uh, 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 Attorney General Garland, like, walked into the office, found out where the men's room was. Oh, give me the Mueller report. The fact that that has not been acted on is, to me, unimaginable. I mean, it. I, I, I don't understand. I, I believe, I really do believe in equal justice. I believe in the presumption of innocent. I really do. I don't want to see anybody, even somebody I can't stand like Trump. I don't want to see anybody railroad. But that was a pretty thorough investigation, mm-hmm. and I have no idea—I really don't—why uh, Justice hasn't acted on that. I understand these other things take time. The January 6th investigation, other things.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: But holy moly, Robert Mueller had the goods. He had the receipts, as the kids say. I, I, I'm mystified. And do you I, think I that worried. this is just
0: a bigger? This is a bigger case, and and he just he just made a choice. Of where to put the
1: yeah, I, Justice I, Department resources. Met the guy, and so. I, I, I always worry uh, uh, in Washington about people who are so <sighs> lofty. They're just better than you and me, Andy. You know, they're just better. Uh, I think Jim Comey had that mm-hmm. uh, hubris in abundance. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I, and Comey did massive damage. Comey gave us Trump more, more than Putin, more than anybody. Jim Comey gave us President Donald J. Trump. So thanks, Jim. And he did it because of his elevated sense of how grand <laughs> and superior Marley. Spe- he had a Twitter account as Reinhold Niebuhr. Really? Really? You're like one of the world's great theologians? Really? I, I, so I, I don't know Merrick Garland. Right. I, I just worry that he may have comeitis
0: But he's, you know, why the thing I keep coming back to is he's a pretty private guy for the most part. Yet he's made two or three very absolute public statements. All saying the same thing. You hear the exasperation in his voice yesterday. You know, we're talking, we're not, I mean, we're talking about the potential indictment of a former United States president. Why would he make those statements if, as he's making them in his mind, he's like, yeah, but accept Trump? You know, like, I, I just, I can't, I can't not go back to that every time I hear him speak.
1: Yeah. And it may well be. That he's um, very methodical. He's certainly not political. I don't even know if he's a Democrat. Um, but he's very methodical and he's going to – that may be. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's why he keeps saying that. But it's sort of a, 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 a truism. You know, Water is wet. Mm-hmm. No one is above the law. Yeah, that goes back to 1215 in the Magna Carta, sir. We know that. I just want to know why you haven't acted on Mueller's <laughs> report.
0: Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. Say, I think a lot of people share that frustration with, with the, whole, the whole Mueller saga and, and how it ended up. Um, jumping back to the hearings for a second. I know Maddie, my co-producer, Maddie, uh, uh, had a question for you.
3: Oh, yeah. Hi, Paul. Uh, Nice to meet you virtually. Hey there. Um, I had a question, actually. Since we've been online, the House just passed legislation to enshrine the right to contraception into federal law. And only eight Republicans voted for it. Whereas on Tuesday, we had this sort of odd uh, Respect for Marriage Act where we had 47 Republicans. I'm wondering with those two bills, um, what do you think is going to happen in the Senate and how will this be used in the midterms?
1: Well, it, it does show, uh, Maddie, that, that, first, nice to meet you, virtually.
3: Thank you. Uh,
1: it, it shows you that the Republican Party has really gone to the extreme. I mean, good Lord, if they don't think that uh, uh, people have the right to contraception, you know, that's preposterous. Um, and by the way, the 47, I, the press has all given them kudos. 47 is only 22% of the Republican conference. 22%, okay? I mean, 78% voted no against a, a woman's fundamental right to choose. I mean, I'm no, sorry, against gay marriage, against marriage equality. So, and, and by the way, 55% of Republicans support marriage equality. 55% of real Republicans. Think of the Republicans in your community or your family, my family, people I grew up with. Most of them now are for marriage equality. You know, uh, uh, there's a great joke a friend of mine tells in 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 Texas. He said, I'm for gay he's straight. He said, I'm for gay marriage. That'll be just as miserable as we are. <laughs> yeah. oh, you know, uh, and yet, so only 22%. I didn't realize, Matty, only eight congressional this just,
3: Republicans. Just came across while we were, while you were talking to Andy.
1: Well, they're extreme. And here's how it would play in the midterm. If I were still running campaigns, a midterm election is usually a brake pedal election. Clinton's going too far. Obama's going too far, you know, all that healthcare and stuff. So people said, okay. <laughs> We don't want so much health care, but whatever. Voters wanted a brake pedal. They certainly want a brake pedal on Trump as well. I would try, if I were still advising Democrats, to show that the real brake pedal you need is not on Joe Biden, but it's on these crazy Republicans who want to take away a woman's right to choose, who want to take away my cousin's right to be married. Holy smokes. Um, who want to take away anybody's right to use contraception. Uh, so they can avoid an unplanned pregnancy and a potential abortion. I mean, it, that's going off the rails. You know, I, I had told Andy earlier, Maddie, I'm a faithful Catholic. Well, the data is that 97% of Catholics practice birth control and the other 3% lie. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so that's my faith. Um, but most, most religions, of course, support or encourage or allow contraception. And, um, you know, I think very few of us Want the state house to become the church house. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's right, stick with the felt-
0: midterms for a second. <clears throat> it, the The conventional wisdom is that the Republicans are going to take the house, but yeah. my thinking is that in the last six years, we've seen nothing but conventional uh, wisdom be defied, right, on every conceivable level, and so these issues: Roe, contraception, gun violence, um, you know your partner, your ex-partner, maybe he's still a partner in some, some secret business that you guys have, uh, <laughs> James famously said, is the economy stupid? Uh, right. that's, the, that's the conventional wisdom. Uh, this year, is it still the economy stupid or will those other issues somehow, as some believe, motivate suburban women and independents and moderate Republicans
1: uh, more so? I, I think it's still the economy, stupid. I think that will help. I was hoping for the other answer, by the way. <laughs> I know. I wish I could tell you, but I, I think those will mitigate perhaps some of the losses. But the most important job right now for the Democrats is to motivate younger people and communities of color. I Believe me, I, I care a lot about my fellow college educated white people in the suburbs. Okay. I really do. I love them. I mostly want to re engage young people. The, the age cohort Biden did best in was 18 to 30. The best. He got 60%. Okay, the last poll I saw, Biden was at 25. When you go from 60 to 25 with younger voters and younger voters, even younger conservatives are pro-gay marriage. I mean, every young person is for marriage equality because they're more sensible than older people, frankly, on that. Uh, so I, I want to re-engage them. And s- perhaps these issues can do that, but inflation is just hammering people and they're angry. And they're they're gonna lash out at the party in power. I, I do think Democrats have to be more aggressive on inflation, especially on big oil. I do not understand why Democrats aren't saying, did you know this? I don't know if you know this, Annie. Oil companies get fourteen point nine billion dollars in taxpayer subsidies in welfare. In welfare. They're making billions in profits. They get fourteen point nine billion. Put that in perspective. The entire school lunch program is fourteen point. 2 billion. Hmm. So we're sending more of my mama's tax money to fat cat oil companies than we are to hungry school children. That's a we lot of 26- cold
0: peas and carrots we could be paying for.
1: Heck yeah. And by the way, a hungry third grader never charged me $5 a gallon for gas. Right. So how about we start, Democrats, by taking on big oil who's ripping us off at the pumps and taking our welfare I'd do both. I would take away their welfare at the front end and mm-hmm. I would tax their windfall profits on the back end, channel all that money back to the middle class and, and working people and poor people. Yeah. Uh, you know, In other words, that would be an anti-inflation program that I could get behind. There are things we can do. I hate it when the people say, well, there's nothing the president can do about inflation. He can't do everything. Well,
0: let's, let as Bill Clinton said, he ought to
1: get caught trying.
0: Let's stick with Biden for a second. I recently saw, we tried to find the clip, we couldn't find it, but a Paul Begala clip, um, which I thought was was amazing. You had said something like in 19, all the people who are saying, you know, Biden, the polling sucks and he shouldn't run and he's going to lose. And I think you said something like in 1982, 65% said Reagan shouldn't run. And then he went right. on to win 49 states in like the most incredible landslide in presidential political history. Um you also said something another comment i think it was i don't know the the i know the punchline. i don't know the the setup i can't remember but i, I think it was also about biden and like you know how's he doing and you you quoted henny youngman you know how's your <laughs> how's your wife and he said compared to what so yeah.
1: you know biden, got me a lot of applause when i got the home. thing
0: the thing that i don't understand about biden and you really just hit the nail on the head before it's like in an age of toxin partisanship, he got three major bipartisan bills uh, passed. Infrastructure, gun reform, and and hopefully soon the, this election stuff. Uh, when you factor in historic job growth and increasing wages and COVID successes and record judicial appointments, um, his push for better health care healthcare and, and his commitment to climate, how
1: is his approval so damn low? What's missing? You know what's missing? Party loyalty. I mean it. Uh, uh, I think this is, I might write on this because I haven't really formed it precisely, Andy. So bear with me. The Republican Party is loyal to a fault, right? And <laughs> that fault is Donald Trump. They stick with him when he sends a mob to kill them, and they still stick with him. Joe Biden got the biggest investment in the middle class since FDR, the biggest investment in infrastructure since Eisenhower, uh, the first gun safety law since Clinton, biggest expansion of healthcare since Obama. And the Democrats are whining. Yeah. The left is telling those young people he hasn't done enough. By the way, Joe Manchin, from the center of my party, the right of my party, is blowing him up. So, uh, you know, uh, we're all in the same boat here. But a lot of people in my party, on the left and on the right, are punching holes in it, in a boat, and then blaming Biden
3: for them getting
1: wet. Yeah.
0: Well, it's I'm interesting you of, say this. They Man- just
3: get the hell in line. I want to throw it to Matty
0: again, because he has a, a great question, literally, about what you just said.
3: Yeah, know, on that same topic, I, it seems like the Republican Party has an actual base of like 60 to 70 percent. I'm sure you know the number of, you know, white evangelical Christians or Christians that aren't okay. evangelical. And and the Democrats don't have a base for good reason. There's a dispersed group of people. There's blacks. There's uh, people who believe in gay marriages. I mean, it. How do we uh, sort of bring everyone together in the Democratic Party on topics that they can agree upon? And, and is something like point, Respect for Marriage Act one of those items?
1: That's a great point, Matty. That's right. I mean, look, Republican coalition is the white and the whiter, you know, the uh, the the uh, old and the near dead. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just a really simple coalition. I mean, it. Um, uh, Democratic Party is very, very broad every race, every religion, everything. So we want to hold them together. Uh, But we do have a base, so I disagree. And it's the press always gets this wrong. They think of the base of the Democratic Party, as the over educated, over opinionated, over caffeinated, (laughs) white leftists on Twitter, we're total pain in the ass, I suppose I'm one of them. But they're a pain in the ass, and they're not the base of the party. The base of the party, if you think about it, it's a church lady in Orangeburg, South Carolina. It's people of color, especially women of color. They are the heart of the Democratic Party. They're the base of the Democratic Party. Now they're not spending a lot of time on Twitter like I am. Okay, they don't punch above their weight. All they do is you know, run the country and save the Democratic Party <laughs> and elect Democrats to, to office. And, and so like I thought it was critical that the, the president finally put an African-American woman on the court. She's amazing, I don't know her, but I've read her stuff, Justice Jackson, she's amazing. Um, a Democrat, if I were advising Biden, I'd say, here's the program, build back Biden. And you build back by starting with your base. And the people who made Joe Biden president are not the well-off white leftists on Twitter. It's communities of color, it's black people, black women, uh, uh, Hispanics, Asian Americans, Native Americans, immigrants like, start there, sir. And don't worry about pleasing the, you know, the baloney sandwich, BS artists on Twitter, you know, get back to the heart of the real heart of the Democratic Party. And you talk to those folks, and I do. And it's, it's right in that kind of middle class meat and potatoes. Mm -hmm. Obviously, they want marriage equality, obviously, that they want women's uh, women have equal rights, and they they gotta have voting rights. But they're basically talking about jobs, healthcare, inflation, education, crime, you know, the kind of middle class stuff that Democrats are good at.
0: And then also that's the but we lost the white working class too. Everything you just said is what should appeal to the white working class. I, I, I'm not sure how exactly we lost the white working class. I have my own theories. I, I, sometimes I think it's all racism and cult of personality and other times, I think other things. But how do we get those people
1: back? yeah it's well it's hard because that's hard. the people we, we do we, stuff for right well that's the thing the party that, in, that invented the weekend <laughs> you know uh, my wife watches downton abbey i haven't seen it but she said there's a scene where one of these like rich ladies in england 100 years ago looks up and says weekend what is that <laughs> <laughs> you know democrats invented the weekend right. by having you know wage and hours uh, uh limited so we have we have lost now a lot of it is the way we talk and who we put up. You know, I think again, Biden is president because he's not, he, he talks more like the factory floor than the faculty lounge. Mm-hmm. And that's the real heart of the Democratic Party. It's, you know, my great uncle Billy was a steelworker, my grandfather was, you know, an electrician. Um, and, and those people built the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party helped build the middle class. And somewhere along the way in my career, We've lost that thread, you know, it used to be if you had your name stitched over your pocket, you're a Democrat. And if you had uh, your initials uh, on your cufflinks, (laughs) you're a Republican. And uh, I, I, of course, I want my fellow college educated, well off white people again, which I'm one. But we've given the old Heisman to a lot of working class folks. And uh, I think you got to begin by showing respect uh, by understanding that that uh, there's there's a lot of pain. I mean good god this opioid crisis is taking thousands and thousands and thousands of us and it looked like nobody cared donald trump certainly didn't care uh but it looked like the democrats i think didn't do enough so i i think you got to show respect but you got to start with those economic middle class issues rather than the more divisive social and cultural issues where i'm down the line you know liberal on those but but it's the emphasis that my, my favorite one of my favorite candidates this cycle is cyclist, Tim Ryan, he's a congressman from Ohio. All he talks about is making Ohio the land of jobs, just bringing back work, jobs. Now he's down voted mm-hmm. for the you know woman's right to choose and all that. He's great on social issues, but that's not his emphasis. That's not what he leads with. He leads with middle class economics, and he's happy. He's running against a, a vulture capitalist uh, who like spends all his time somewhere between Malibu and Mar-a-Lago, didn't spend a lot of time in Ohio. Uh, so I, to me, that kind of populist economics is a way to to try to win someone back.
0: Sure, I mean, just listen to if we just go back and remember the the, the populist rhetoric of uh, and and policy. Uh, uh, talk of Bernie Sanders or, you know, Andrew Yang's guaranteed income. Like, these are not complicated things. Just tell people you're going to help them financially with health care. You're going to provide for better public education. All the things right. that matter. And just talk about that over and over and over and over and over again. And make promises. Now, it's politics. You're not necessarily going to, you know, be able to live up to every promise you've made. But I think part of the problem, like you said before earlier about, like, you know, uh, Democrats thinking they're, you know, they're always over intellectualizing everything and thinking they're better than that. It's like, oh, we can't make a promise if we're not really going to, like, and, but if you're, if you're up, you know, if you're not <laughs> tethered to reality like Republicans right. are, aren't, like, it's like, you know, but it's politics. Just say the things and, and because you're really actually trying to do them too. It's not complicated, but somehow. Democrats just can't message. And, you know, you mentioned uh, names, you know, if you had a, a name plate on or something, you were a Democrat. Look what they've done with the American flag. It's all, this is the same thing. Now, if you pass a house, if you pass a house in any neighborhood and you see an American flag, you know, you're a Democrat, I'm a Democrat. I guarantee you, you think the same thing I do. would be like, ah, oh, Trumper. And, like, when did that happen? When did the American flag become, like, the symbol of I fly Republican. the American
1: flag but every day? At everything. My home. Uh, I live in rural Virginia. I have neighbors who Confederate flag. My country beat their country. <laughs> and their country were a bunch of traitors. Right. Well. Yeah. So I'm proud of that. <laughs> That's the flag. a whole I other flag I'm on every time you see, um, that, see, it, you I see it. I see it, and I have for over 20 years. Uh, I love my country. My father was buried under that flag. My father yeah, was buried. Yeah, but when we when we flag. lost, it. and uh, it it's it literally is designed to show unity. You go back to Barack Obama's 2004 speech. I don't, right. don't let it have it. But it's Andy. become something else. Our, reclaim our flag. Yeah. Good.
0: I. Oh, I'm not. I'm, I hope there's a big, I'm big American flag, flag in front of the candy store. So before I let you go. <laughs> I'm going to come up there. There will be I'm now. coming up there. Um, well, and hopefully, uh, the Hudson you should, Valley's you should beautiful. come. You definitely come. Oh my gosh. You get beautiful. up that way. do You get to the Hudson Valley. Upstate New York. Just come on down. <laughs> we'll, uh, give you all the gummies and fattening chocolates and, and <laughs> coffee bullshit drinks as larry david would say as, as you want <laughs> um so before i let you go uh, i'm a big uh, musical aficionado and i do believe that music is the window into our souls so i want to oh, wow. hear paul bagala's top I five start artists my hero
1: willie nelson uh i've gotten it if you're from texas like i am nice. if you don't believe in willie nelson we got a word for you atheist uh and i've gotten to know him a little bit this is so greggy but it's like the <laughs> greatest moment of my life the west wing was fine and being in oval office was fine camp David was fine willie nelson sang me happy birthday last year on my birthday and oh my god i'm about to start crying talking about it. i mean what a. I hear you saint he I mean, seriously, he's one of my heroes by the way, huge progressive environmentalist he's campaigned for beto all right so anyway, willie is my all-star and then those other kind of uh uh, you know his sort of progeny uh in in that art uh i love it uh great guy great singer songwriter mm-hmm. steve Earle, a great progressive too by the way sort of revolutionary progressive um three right there i would add stevie ray vaughn who for my money even better than jimmy greatest guitar player ever lived cool. that's hard mm-hmm. now most people say jimmy but no, you know, I'm we have a statue on that in austin one. <laughs> seriously of, of stevie right that's and by the way a statue of willie the fifth though to change genres and continents mm-hmm. the irish band the saw doctors if you're not familiar with that meant Uh, i thought you were gonna go like snoop Dogg or something but saw doctors are (laughs) phenomenal they're great they're they're
0: well i'm gonna check them out one of the things i love about asking people this is that i actually make notes and then i go and i check out music and i I start listening to all kinds of stuff i've never listened to before
1: actually here's a couple jason isbell and turnpike troubadours are a newer generation maddie's
0: got a thumbs up on that so apparently maddie knows who you're talking about yeah paul thank you so
1: genius he's a genius
0: i'm sorry go ahead no. uh, i'm gonna check him out uh, gene you had me a genius yeah. uh thank you so much paul this has been great Andy, this is uh, great
1: i'm so glad you're doing this pod man
0: thank you you're such an entertaining guy and a smart guy those are two dynamic qualities so uh, i gotta hope you'll pop come popcorn
1: back for the hearing tonight <laughs> yes
0: i'm excited too take care
1: paul all right brother thanks man
0: yep bye-bye Bye. so there you have it episode six in the can We'd love to hear your thoughts, so leave us a message at 845 307 7446 or email us at backroomandy at gmail.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at Andy Ostroy. At this point, I want to say thank you, Maddie Rosenberg, engineer and producer extraordinaire, Cricket Langell for our logo design and uh, logo and design, Uh, Andy Hollander for our kick ass music, and again, a big thank you to our amazing engaging, entertaining guest, Paul Bagala. So keep your eyes on Washington, Hollywood, and your own backyards. And we hope you'll join us again next time. Have a great week.